0: All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Ephesians. Now, the last time we were here, we were continuing in chapter five. As Paul was talking about, he was commanding the Ephesians to live lives of righteousness. And we remember that we are in this section. That is chapters four through six, the practical teaching chapters one through three dealt with a theological point of Paul. Paul was speaking of God's gracious gift of election. That is salvation. That's why he said the high point, uh, Ephesians two and eight for by grace, you have been saved. It is the gift of God. Nothing of you, not of works. So therefore Paul is saying that God has chosen of his own good pleasure of his own will to save a particular people. This is a wonderful thing to give them such inheritance. All of this is the will of God, the gift of God. Thus, he ends, he finishes in chapters four through six. So the theology, chapters one through three, the practical section, chapters four through six, and this is often how we've told you before, Paul divides his letters, theology, then practical section, how to respond to God's gracious gift of salvation. So that's what chapters four through six about. And how should we respond? How should all respond by living a holy and a righteous life? So that's what he's talking about. So we're still in that particular section as we are in chapter five. So the last time we talked in chapter five, what Paul was trying to do was, he was trying to get these Ephesian Gentiles to remember and to consider their former lifestyles. And what characterized their former lifestyles? Sexual immorality, lust of the flesh, all types of uncleanness, thefts, debauchery, greediness, all of these types of things. So Paul wanted them to consider their former lifestyle, he used it parabolically, to speak of in a sense of like clothing, like clothing. That is, consider your former lifestyle as unclean clothes. And you know what? Take these things off. Put them far from you. Now consider as clean clothes the things that I have taught you about Jesus Christ, about righteous and holy living, and put these things on you. And thus, Paul would continue to speak concerning the righteous living that he wanted these Ephesians, the church, to live. Then he kind of goes on to this latter part when he talks about don't be drunken with wine, wherein it is with, with excess, that is, to be drunken. He is not saying it is forbidden to drink wine. He says it is forbidden to be drunk. Why? Because in doing so, it leads you to do things that you would not normally do, and you engage in fleshly, sinful behavior. But instead of having your behavior being influenced by drunkenness or any type of wine, we also include what? Uh, Drugs in that sense. But instead of your behavior being influenced by substances, let your behavior be influenced by the holy spirit and as that behavior is influenced by the holy spirit you will be influenced to godly living and how you live with respect to one another and that's why he ends by i say speaking to one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs uh, making joy in your heart through the spirit giving thanks to god so that's how he particularly ended that section but even though we speak in this language, we speak in the language of section, even though he ended the section, as we say, he continues on in the latter part. So, and we just kind of divide this up because there is particular emphasis. And this is what we talked about in the last video, the localization, the localization of Paul's command. So Paul speaks to the body of Christ as a whole in the things that he has been saying in righteous living. He continues to speak to the whole church, to the body of Christ in holy living, but he begins to speak particularly to husbands and wives. And that's why I use that term localizing because he's speaking to particular groups and the groups that Paul will key on is the wife and, or should I even say, the wives and the husbands, okay? With all of that said, let's just simply continue at the end of this chapter. Um, It actually should be a short chapter, but never can say. And it's gonna be one of those challenging things when we look at the spirit of the world in this day, the climate of the world in this day. But let's just go on and deal with the verses. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to to their husbands in everything. So the first thing that he does, now notice we talked about this localization. How should the church, the righteousness, You okay, remember, okay, let me just slow it down. The whole point of everything. You've been saved and God has chosen to bless you with this wonderful inheritance. Thus, how shall you respond to God's salvation? You respond by living righteous lives. What is the character of the righteous life of a believer? Now here specifically he talks about the wife. What is the character of a righteous life of a believer of a woman who is saved and married? The character of a saved married woman. Is to be subject to her husband. Now, let me make a statement apart from this, apart before we even get into the text, because as I was saying earlier, I was about about to allude to earlier, such biblical language as to uh, that we have here in today's world almost violates the conscience of women, of, of modern day unsaved women. Notice what I said. Modern day feminist unsaved women. And forgive me. Right now, I am not going to spare. I'm not going to try to spare your feelings and neither am I going to try to be sensitive to your feelings. My job is to teach the word of God. My job is to be on the side of God, even though. I want to, I want to be considerate to the difficulties that we do face. But at the same time, as Moses said, when he came down from that mountain, when the children of Israel had sinned, Moses made the statement, should I dare say, he asked the question, who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites responded to Moses, I am such a Levite. I respond, I am on the Lord's side, and I can really care less about how you feel. It is about what the Lord has spoken. And if indeed you are saved, you want want to have a mindset and a spirit that is willing to do what the Lord has told you to do. All right. Now, with all of that said, let's get into the divine word of God. So what he begins to say, because it's difficult, it's difficult. Women today being subject to a man, uh, it's their husbands. That's almost like profanity. I do what I want to do. I'm independent. I have my own mind. This is the thinking of the world. This is not the mindset that God's saved women should have, God's saved wives should have. They should have the mindset of the scripture. And what is it that God has ordered in the married relationship? Because this is basically what we're seeing. We're seeing how God has ordered the marriage relationship. Why? Because God alone is God. God is sovereign all things belong to God and God does what he wants he sets he sets things in the order that he wants so okay i'm not going to preach i'm not going to preach let me get back to the teaching so what we now see the ordered relationship that God has given for the marriage and with respect to the wives he says to be subject to your own Husbands now, I don't want to get deep into this because this is make a video really really long But when you see that be subject to actually that verb be subject is actually not in the text the verb is considered to be a carry-on From the original verb that was used in verse number 21 you see in verse number 21 where he says and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ but the sense, but what he's literally saying is, "hupetasso," uh, and that that verb, and because I'm getting way ahead of myself, so let me slow it down. So when he said, when he said, when we translate that, "wise, be subject to your own husband," we understand this is a carry on. The verb hupataso menoi" is being carried on into the same sense. Of verse number twenty-two, where he says, "Ha gunakes tous idiois andrasina hois toi kurioi." So, even though that section has no verb. We understand the verb is being carried over into this section. And even we see that same verb being iterated here once again in this section, hupotasso. So the verb carries over. So what he's is saying is this, and this is what I'm trying to say. The verb being subject to is being carried over from verse 21. So he is saying, for the as the whole church body is being subject to one another, also in the same sense wise, you be subject to your own husband. All right, now, with that understood, the carrying over of that verbal form being used as a simple verb uh, uh, to be subject to, hupotoso is an interesting verb. What it means is kind of like, consider it like a military term. And it means to like a soldier would willingly line up under willingly lined up under. And that's why we translate it to be subject to. It is not a verb of force. It is a verb of willingness. So as a soldier, understanding his place, understanding his position and role, what does he do? He willingly lines up under the authority of his commander. All right, his commander. That's the idea of the verbal form that is used. So this is a verb, not a force, but a verb of willingness. Now, why am I, uh, okay, fine. I'm gonna just bring out all of the teaching. I wanted to make this thing short, but however long the video is, it is, because I wanna give you a clear understanding of this. So the beauty, the beauty of this verbal form that God is using is that the wife is doing this of her own free will. She is being subject. She is obeying the voice of her husband because she is choosing to do so, even though God is commanding her to do this. So it is The the mindset of the wife is, you know what? God has told me to do this and he wants me. God wants me to be willing to take this subjective role in my marriage to my husband. And you know what? This is exactly what I'm going to do. I willingly, I'm going to do number one, God has commanded me. So it's not like you got a choice but God wants me of my own will to be willing to take this role in our marriage relationship. So thus, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna please the Lord who saved me, and I'm going to willingly get in line, subject myself to this ordered relationship. I am going to be subject to my own husband. That's the beauty of that. God wants the woman to willingly do this. But nevertheless, it's not like you have a choice, but still do this in this manner. Now, that's one side. Let me look at the second side of this, because this is the verbal form that is used. And I'm not I'm going to leave the verbal form, talk alone and get into the aspects of this because of this is how God speaks to the woman that she should willingly line up. What a man should understand is because God has told her to do this of her own will, he never told you to enforce it. So thus, a woman is to willingly submit herself to the husband, as, as he just said in all things, we're gonna bring all this out as we get a, move through the text. It is never the responsibility, the duty or option of the husband to make her. In other words, if the woman is unwilling to obey you as the husband, don't try to make her. There is no place in the scripture where God has ever told a man to make a woman do anything that she does not want to do. So, you see the point of what I'm trying to say? The idea is that the woman should willingly be uh, submissive to her own husband. And by the sense of this same word, the man is not t- to try to make her do anything. You don't hit her. If she is unwilling to obey you, Of course it's gonna cause difficulty. Of course it's gonna cause strife in the relationship and the relationship will be uneasy and rocky, but you are not to try to force her to do anything. If she does not want to obey you, that will be between her and the Lord and Jesus will deal with that rebellious wife when he sees her, okay? So that's the idea. Now let's just move into the text because I don't want to, okay, y'all know me. But anyway, so he says, so the wives are to be subject to, and notice, idios, idios, to your own husband. So you are to be subject to one in particular. Who is that one in particular that the wife should be subject to? Her own husband. So it sets up that relationship and we can see how Paul begins to move the text to specificity. And that's why I said the localization. He begins to deal with what? The wives and what? The husband. And we can see that Paul is dealing with these specific groups because he uses the definite article, hi, when he speaks of the wife, then the definite article here is high gunakas. And when he deals with the men, he says hoy Andres. So the wives, that group, the husbands, that group. So the group that we're talking about now, the wives. What, what about the wives? You be subject to your own husband. You line up in ordered submission. In ordered obedience, be subject to your husband. Then he says, for, and that word for is hanti in the Greek. And hanti can be, uh, it literally brings in the idea of because, because. So why should the wife be obedient to her husband, be subject to her husband? Because according to the will of God, God has set this thing in a certain way. What way has God set it? God has set the husband as the head, kephale, as the head of the wife, in the same way as Christ is the head of the church, he himself also being the savior of the body. So why should the wife submit herself and uh, and subject herself to the husband, willingly uh, uh, get in order? Why should the wife do this? Because God has established the relationship to be in this way. What way? Just like Jesus is to the church. God has established the husband-wife relationship to mirror, to mirror the relationship of Jesus to the church. So what is the relationship of Jesus to the church? Jesus is the head of of the church and it is the head jesus who sets the order for the rest of the body the rest of the body so the so the wife is to be pictured as the body and the husband is to be pictured as christ the head and as jesus the head sets the order for the rest of the body so the husband sets what? The order for the rest of his body, which is the wife. So the wife is the picture of the body of Christ, the church, and the husband is the picture of the head, which is Jesus Christ himself. And since this is the order, it's not the church who, who uh, commands Christ, but it is rather what? Christ who commands the church. So this is the ordered relationship. And thus the husband is set as the head of the wife. Then he continues on verse number 24, but as the church notice what he says, now notice the extent we'll talk about that. The extent of the wife's obedience to her husband, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So what in the manner of life, in whatever it may be, how is the church subject to Christ? We don't say to Jesus now, Jesus, I'm going to do what you say in this and that. But Jesus, I'm not going to do what you say about that. That's not the relationship. But what? We say as members of Christ, those who have been saved by the grace of God, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, help me and give me the strength. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, because we understand that's the role that we should play. That's the same thing. What? As the church, the same idea is subject to Christ. What? So now notice, and I did you guys a favor. I highlighted this text on the screen. You'll see it in green uh, with this little box around it. So this word is hutos, and that's a beautiful word. Hutos, which we translate so, that's an okay translation. But let's expand the idea of what hutos actually means. You see the same word used in the John 3 and 16, and a lot of people really misunderstand that. That is for God so loved the world, that word that who loved the world, that word for so is hutos in the Greek. What it means, it doesn't mean it, and it's a word, uh, it's an adverb of degree. And I don't want to uh, lamb blast you guys with a bunch of grammar, Greek grammar, because I know that can be difficult. But it's an adverb of degree. It doesn't so much as mean so as in so much. Yeah, that's involved in it, but it more so It more so is a word of demonstration. In other words, notice, uh, uh, for God in this way, loved the world. How did God demonstrate his great love for the world? by the giving of Jesus on the cross. He gave up his only begotten son unto death on the cross on our behalf. That's a demonstration of the greatness of God's love. And this with that idea who toast, this is what is being said in this particular section here. And we're going to see that for both the wife. And this is what we're seeing it here for the wife. And we're going to also see that for the husband, the same word, hutos, being used. So what does he say? As the church is subject to Christ, hutos, hutos, in the same way, in the same way ought the wives to be towards their husbands. So what? How is the wife ought to be so in their husband? Notice, in ponte, that is, in everything. So the wife is not to say, Husband, as lo- now I'll do what you say in this, but now I'm not going to do what you say about that. Or I'm going to do what you say with that, but I'm not going to do what you say about that. You don't tell, now I choose what I want to do. That is not what the scripture says. The scripture says the example is Jesus, the head of the church and the church itself. How is the role of Jesus to the church? The church is obedient to Jesus in everything. The church does not lay down certain places in where it does not obey Jesus. The church is to obey Jesus in everything. And notice what Paul says. Who toast? Let this be that same demonstration. Let this be the same degree. The wife As her role to the husband is in the same role as the church is to Jesus, be obedient in what? In what? Everything. God did not ask you what you thought. God did not ask you how you feel. God set forth an imperative. An imperative is a commandment To obey, you be subject in everything. Okay, I said I wasn't going to spare, and I didn't, because what? This is the divine role that God has for the wife in the marriage relationship. Some of you, I can imagine it just tears you apart, because you hear all of that crap coming from the world. Have you not heard what John said Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world don't have a mindset from this world, the ruler of this world who is Satan, but we are God's people. We think, we act, and we live like God says for us to live. And our lives is a response to God's saving grace. Our lives is a response to what Jesus did on the cross. If he could do that for us, what can we do for him in love, in response? Remember what Jesus said, if you what love me, keep my commandments. But now I dare say not only the love of God, but the fear of God, which is the beginning of Wisdom, but anyway Let me make an aside as well The only time that a wife is not to obey her husband is when her husband tells her to do something That is contrary to the Word of God if your husband tells you to uh, do something that breaks God's commandment, then of course remember what Peter said to the uh, religious leaders we ought better, we are to obey God rather than man. That is, you always do what God tells you to do, especially when man tells you not to do something that God has told you to do. So, the only time that the wife is not to obey her husband is when he tells her to break the commandments of God. And even also, this, in a sense, what Paul is teaching here, It also parallels the teaching of Peter. I did a teaching, uh, I did the whole uh, epistle of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3. And and I'm not going to rehash all of that, but I'll leave a link in this video that you can go back and look at that as well. When Peter is bringing in the same sense from chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, of being obedient, even under mistreatment, Peter says, Likewise, he brings in that idea. Likewise, you wise, be submissive to your husband. And the point is, now here's the the second part, even if he is not saved without rehashing everything, so that the husband might be, the attempt is to be one without the wife trying to preach to him, but the wife being subject to him, being submissive to him, the husband observing how she lives in the fear of Christ. He says she's really humble, she's good, she's obedient wife, and the husband takes notice of this, and this behavior of the wife wins him over and not her, her so-called trying to chastise him and her being rebellious to him or her preaching to him but let her behavior win him over to Christ. And that's what Peter's trying to say. But the point that I was bringing was that the wife is to obey the husband, even if he isn't saved, because I can kind of hear that question. Well, suppose my husband ain't saved, then I don't have to obey him. That's a lie. Peter said, even if he's not saved, obey him. Why? Because it's not about who's saved and who's not, except for the commandments given to the Christian. The point is about the divine order of the relationship. And what is the God-given order of the relationship? The wife is to be obedient, to submit herself to her own husband. Why? Because God has said it in the same way of Jesus and the church. And how does the church respond to Jesus in obedience? Why? Because Jesus is the head in the same way the wife should respond to her husband. Why? Because the husband is the head in the same way that Jesus is to the church. Okay? Now, that may seem difficult for the wife, but that's not the case. Because notice something, before we even get into this other section, which is part of this whole section as a whole, That is, that which pertains to the husband. Look at the length. Look at the length that was given to the wife. Verses 22 through 24. But look at the length that is now given to the husband. Verses 25, for the most part, to verse 33. Now, notice that. Now, you may say, wise, how difficult it is. How difficult it is to be obedient to your husbands. The greater weight is not so much on the wife. The greater weight, you'll find out, is on the husband. Why? The husband is commanded to mimic Jesus, to follow the example of Jesus, the perfect one. Now, you tell me who can follow the perfect example of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus. Give it up. That's that's a measure beyond us. But nevertheless, so let me just get into the text because I can hear the women. My God, my God. Trust me, the greater difficulty is for the husband. Let us see. Husbands, hoy andres. Now to this group. What is the command of God? Love love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should, she would be holy and blameless. So, okay. So l- let me stop here because this is expansive, As you already see, you've already taken up enough verses for the most part as spoken to the wise, but he says to the husband to love your wife. And he uses that imperative verb. He uses the word agapate, agapate. Now, there are basically three types of words, basic three words that we see in Greek with love. That is Phileo, and that is that eris love, and then there is the agape. The Phileo love is basically the love of a friend, friendship. Then the eras love is erotic love, the, the sexual type of love. And then there is the agape. Or agapete, agapao, which is the verb that is actually used here, but the agapata, agapete, the verb. That is a self-sacrificing love. So notice that's the idea. That's why he brings in the comparison of Christ and the church. How did Christ? John three and sixteen. How did Christ love the church by giving up himself? For the church by giving his life for the church. It is a self-sacrificing. It is a willingly self-sacrificing. So let me talk about the verb. I like that verb. And see, women think that they have a difficult time because the obedience thing. Trust me. To agape, agapao, the church is to love something not because it is worthy of that love. you got to feel that it's not because it's worthy of that love. But let let me, let me, let me, let me, let me bring out the end first. But what is the degree of that love? The degree I will willingly give my life because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did not mama and complain about going to the cross. He looked forward to it. Jesus did not try to duck, hide, and reject the cross. Satan tried to get Jesus to do everything. He wanted, I'll give you the world, do anything, but whatever you do, please don't go to the cross. Try to kill Jesus ahead of time. Don't go to the cross, but Jesus' mindset, he had his, he set his mind towards Jerusalem and it wasn't the place, but the event that was about to take place, Jesus knew all that would come upon him, the cross and the suffering, and he willingly, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down of my own free will. I do it because I want to. This is the agapa-o. This is the love that Jesus had. All right. So that's the extent of his love to sacrifice. And remember, husband, how should you love your wife? To be willing to lay your life down for her. You got it? Now, let's identify who you are laying your life down for. Jesus laid his life down for the church, for the elect, because that's the whole parabolic idea that's being given. The husband is Christ. The church, the body, is the wife. Now, let's look at whom Jesus laid down his life for. My Bible says while we were yet in our sins, Christ died. We were not something worthy that Jesus should die for. We were not something honorable and glorious and beautiful that Jesus should lay his life down for. We were wretched sinners. Notice what Paul talked about in Ephesians chapters one and two. He talked about this glorious election and salvation that we have undeserved for by grace you have been saved. Notice what Paul talked about in chapter five. Consider your former lives, the filthiness of the flesh. This is the church. This is the one whom Jesus gave his life for. And notice once again, what the the Bible said, what did Paul say? For we all have fallen short and continue that, that, that verbal form. And I don't want to get excited about it because I almost did. Is a present active indicative verbal form for we all continue to fall short of the grace of God. Let me preach right now. Let me preach. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? Disciples are the followers of Jesus Christ. When they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, John, the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. You are the Messiah. Teach us how to pray. If there is anybody who can teach how to pray, it's Jesus. Tell us, Lord Jesus, tell us saved folk. Do you understand what I just said? Tell us, say folk, how to pray. Jesus said, my disciples, you say folk, when you pray, you ask God, you say, forgive us of our sins. Now, why would Jesus tell the disciples us to continue to pray for, for because we sin? What did John say in his first epistle? And if we Oh my God, I don't care. I'm going to preach. We, we, the pronoun that John used includes himself. John is saved. John is not unsaved. John is saved. But what did he say? If we confess our sins, God, the Lord Jesus, even so, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unright. So if we... The body of Christ continues to sin. Now, what was I preaching about? The church is the wife. You see, what kind of love should the husband have for the wife? Man, she is awful. She is difficult. She can be rebellious. She she don't do right. She didn't do right. But nevertheless, uh, I like that. Agapao. What? I have willingly of my own will, of my own will, I have chosen to love her self-sacrificially, even though she is not worthy. What is the picture? Can any of us say we are worthy of salvation? I am worthy that God should have saved me cause I'm good. And I'm no, that's the whole picture of salvation. None of us are worthy. Can I go back Ephesians two and eight. For by God's grace. You have been saved and ain't got nothing to do with you. Not of works. You are not worthy. Again, back to here, husband, that may be the case, but still the commandment of God, you, if you are a saved husband, the commandment is to love even the unlovable, to purposely to willfully love and to what degree that you are willing to die for her. And you want to set her apart for yourself, even as Jesus has set the church apart for itself. And that's what the rest of it means: that he might what, Sanctify, cleanse by the washing of the word of the word, and present the church to himself. In all of our glory. You see the glory is not the glory that the church has Inherently the glory is the glory that the church has by, by nature of what Jesus has done for it set her aside washed the church presented the church to himself In this glory, that which Jesus has done, not that which the church had, which, which sinners have of themselves. But the point is, so you see, as we work through these things about the responsibility of the husband to the wife, the responsibility of the wife doesn't even come near the responsibility of the husband. The husband is to love a wife. Suppose she ain't right. Ain't right, won't act right. Notice the Bible didn't say, well, you are no longer under the responsibility to love. The whole point of agape is to love even the unlovable because that's who we are. All of us are. When God first looked at us, do you thought we were lovable? When we were in sin and fornicating, committing adultery, lying, stealing, and doing anything else, you thought you were lovable by God? No, you were not lovable. You were unlovable. But what did God do? He chose. He chose to set His affection upon you, He chose to save you. You became His people. Why? God called you. You were gifts from the father to Jesus, John chapter six, all that the father gives unto me shall come to me. You were God's gift, not because you were loving, not because you were good. So this is the responsibility of the husband. So let me just go on. That's why we get into verse number 28. So husbands, and I'm going to come back ought also to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. Now, let me go on. So he goes on and says, so husbands, and notice I did that for you again. I did this little Highlighting in green and put that box around it. We're back again with that word who toes what who is? Demonstrating not just the soul, but also like this What like this what in the same way that Jesus is toward the church? So the husband is to be towards the wife now, which is a higher responsibility? You think the highest responsibility is the church to Jesus? Or do you think the highest responsibility is the role that Jesus took? Of course, the highest responsibility is the role that Jesus took. Why? He is the head. And so therefore, as he takes the higher responsibility and the lead, what? The husband is to take the high responsibility and the lead. And as Jesus has demonstrated that word, so who as Jesus has demonstrated his love, his affection, his allegiance, loyalty, devotion to the church. So in the same way, husband you demonstrate this same love and devotion, allegiance, and blah, 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 blah for your wife. The husband ought to love their own wife to follow the perfect example of Jesus. Now, I ask any saved man, have you done this? And the answer is a resounding unequivocal. No, no one, no one can live up to the exacting standards of Jesus. Now we can try. We can strive. Nobody got that perfect love like Jesus. Now you tell me, ladies, what you think is harder, what God commanded you to do or what God commanded that husband to do to follow the example of Jesus. Ha, yeah, right. We can try what we'll always find ourselves doing as men and husbands. We'll always find ourselves repenting and saying to God, now, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And even wise, I understand that too, cause you will also be finding yourself saying, concerning that difficult husband, what? Lord help me, Lord help me. Everybody screaming and crying, God help us all. But anyway, <laughs> back to the text. So now he begins to talk about, to compare uh, 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 the husband relationship to the wife to the physical body, namely to the husband's own physical body. He himself as the head and the wife as his own physical body. Because what? He said, because what? In the normal sense, no man ever hated his own physical body, but he nourishes and what? He cherishes it. And I like that word cherish. It comes from the Greek word thalpe. Thalpe. And thalpe gives the sense of Comfort and nourish, comfort and nourish. So I don't hate my body. You know, we might hate sometimes the way we look, we gain too much weight and all of that kind of stuff like that. But nevertheless, you love your body and you are protective of your body. And this is what I bring in that word thought, pay, that sense of comfort and nourishing. And think about the wife and the husband relationship commanded by God. Thaw, pay, nourish and comfort. Think about like in the sense of like a burn. If all of a sudden you injure yourself and you hurt yourself, if you injure, say for instance, you're walking by a hot stove, there's a hot pan sitting there and you hit, didn't see it and you arm hit it and you really burn your arm. You don't, you're not just callous and you just, you burn it and just keep walking as if you don't feel nothing. As soon as you burn your, you burn yourself, hurt yourself, cut yourself. What's the first thing that you do? Oh, 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 oh. That's, that's the beauty of that text. That's the beauty of that word. Thalpe, the husband. How do you do the wife? You nourish, you comfort. You, let me see about it. Let me take care. Now you tell me that's not <laughs> your wife showing out. And the first thing you want to do is let me take care of Uh uh-uh, Uh, the first thing you want to do is distance yourself from her. no man ever hated his own body, but he takes care of it. He cherishes his body. He loves it. And in the same way, the responsibility is you need to do so towards your wife and all the women would say, what to that? Amen. Love me, hug me. But women try to be lovable. If you yourself are respectful, obedient, you are more likely, more likely get this response. But if you're rebellious with all this attitude, don't tell me what to do. You ain't my daddy. First of all, that's not a Christian mindset. But then you you make the husband react in a more difficult way. But nevertheless, roles have been given to each. The wives, you be subject. I didn't ask you said the Lord. I told you to be subject. Husbands, love your wife. Just like Jesus loved the church. I didn't ask you about what she did, what she said. You do what I told you to do. Okay. But let me finish this thing. And then it just simply says, husband, the, your, your wife is like your own body. Common sense. You take care. You love your body. You protect your body. You nourish your body. Okay. And then it says, and this type of relationship should be the case because all of us, husbands and wives, we are all members of Jesus's body. So as Jesus loves us all, let, let each one of us play the perspective role that Christ has assigned to us. So wife, you play your role. Husbands, you play your role. All of us are responsible for these things. In the body of Jesus Christ. Verse 30, he begins to give reason. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now, even though collectively he speaks of of both the man and the woman in that collective relationship, but more so he still is laying, he's still laying the weight of responsibility on the man. So he's really just working men. He's working our behinds out pretty good. For this reason, what? A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now you'll talk half the day on that. (laughs) This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each one among you is to love his own wife, even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Okay. So we wrap it up. He says for here's the reason because of all of this thing, this sets the course. What as God stated in the beginning in the book of Genesis, remember when there was the presentation of Eve to Adam. Notice how I said that the presentation of Eve to Adam where God himself performed the first wedding. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. This speaks of responsibility. The responsibility when a man becomes of age and takes a wife, his responsibility is no longer to his father and mother. The greater responsibility of that man is now to his wife. He is her take her caretaker. He is her provider. He takes care of her. She becomes his primary objective, not his, fa- his father and his mother. So as the wife becomes his primary objective, so the, he leaves the father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. The new relationship is formed, a man and a woman, and that relationship is no longer of independent uh, individuals. And ladies, listen to what God has just said. He shall be joined to his wife. All of this crap, I'm sick of this independence. You want to do your thing apart from your husband. You want to do this, you want to do that. And even men, sometimes that's the case. You want to do your thing apart from your wife. That's not the purity of the relationship ordered by God. If both of you did what God wanted you to do, were what God wanted you to be, you would be joined together as one. Get rid of all of this independence crap that you learn from a world that's going to hell, a world that's following after the teachings of Satan. But back to the text, joined is now a new creature, a new creation and one. One flesh and the two shall become one flesh. No, you doing your thing. I'm this and you that. And you can see all of this crap. Let me just make an aside. You know, I'll get married. There used to be a traditional thing. Uh, uh, People get married. And I'm not going to get into all of the history behind that. But normally in America, people get married. They take the name of the husband, the husband's last name. But now all of this crap of independence, the woman gets married. She keeps her former name. She keeps her for because I want to let you know, even though I'm married, I'm going to still keep a certain independence from you. I'm going to keep a certain uh, separation from you. I'm going to maintain my identity apart from you. I'm going to do what? Maintain my identity apart from you. I'm going to keep my name. I'm going to keep my maiden name. I'm not going to take care. This is not Christian. This is not Christian and I'm not so much dealing with hammering the name. The name is just a a, a sense of a, a, a reality of the sense. The point is the identity, both husband's identity, that you formerly had, the wife identity that she formerly had, all of this is dissolved into just a new identity, a one identity. It's dissolved. And now you two are one. All right? But nevertheless, let me finish it cuz this went long enough, but I think you guys got it. Nevertheless, each individual among you, so with respect to this perspective group, husbands, wives, is also to love his own wife. So you, all you husband, you love again, notice idios, idios, your own wife. Don't love nobody else's wife. <laughs> love the one you got. However you got it, you love her. Love your own wife even as himself. Notice, keep, notice how long it keeps working on the husband's behind. Even as himself. Notice again, even. That word even is who toes, who toes. How should you demonstrate that love you have for your wife? In the same way, you love your own self. You love your own flesh. And again, even earlier, even as Christ loved the church, love even as himself. And then he brings the wife in one more time and he says, and the wife, you see imperative command, respect your husband. And that word actually is phobita, 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 which comes from the word, this word Greek phobeo, which means to fear. It brings in the sense of uh, a deep reverence, having deep reverence, let the wife respect the husband. And this is another problem that I see that is such a contagion in marriage with respect to women. There is in our day, no respect for the husband. There is no reverence for it. Women. If there is a man that you should respect married woman, if there is a man that you you should respect, respect your husband. And that's why some of the reasons why, if you'd allow me to make this aside, one of the reasons why there is so much difficulty, harshness, coldness of the husband to the wife is the lack of respect. Thus I would say, thus I would say, if each member did what God told you to do husband love your wife, wife respect your husband, the relationships would be so much better. I would dare say the relationship would be divine. All right, enough with all of that. Oh, I know that was hard, but nevertheless, it is the word of God for the ordered relationship of the husband and the ordered relationship for the wife. We all can pray. We all need to pray. Dear Lord, help me to do what you've commanded me to do. All right. If this video has been a blessing to you, consider supporting this ministry. There's a link in the description, or you can use that. What is that? YouTube thanks button. However you want to do it. And uh, But if the ministry has blessed you, support the ministry. Also, for the video, give the, what do you call it? The likes and the subscribe and all of that kind of stuff. I don't get into all of that, but we do want the word of God to propagate for God's people. Remember, God's word is for his people. Everything that I have just been teaching, it's not for the world. It's not even for married people in the world. Mm -mm. This is for married people who are saved. This is how God wants us to live these ordered lives for the wives, for the husband. As for the world, you know what the world will follow? The prince and power of the air, the ruler of this world. But we follow Christ and the teaching of scripture. All right, guys, God bless you. See you next time.